Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire series of Harry Bosch, so please proceed with extreme caution. Jerry, what are you calling me for? Bosch asked. He was beginning to have a sinking feeling in his chest. What's the kid's name? Bosch was in a daze. It had been months since he had fallen so deeply asleep, only to be rousted out of it. He couldn't remember Sharky's real name, and he didn't want to ask Eleanor because Edgar might hear and know that they were together. Harry looked at Eleanor, and when she began to speak, he touched his finger to his lips and shook his head. Is it Edward Niece? Edward spoke into the silence. That's the kid's name? The sinking feeling was gone. Bosch felt an invisible fist press up under his ribs and into the folds of his guts and heart. Right, he said. That's his name. You gave him one of your business cards? Right. Harry, you ain't looking for him anymore. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. I am Philip Parker, a retired police detective, and joining me today is my baby brother, Alan Parker, who is a retired vice officer. Hey, this is Alan. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please rate us five stars. To show you how grateful we are, we're willing to bribe you by sending out a case of donuts. Please follow us on Twitter at ThinBlueLine underscore podcast and follow us on our Facebook page. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, we explored part four of the Black Echo, where Bosch and Wish go to a halfway house where Meadows had stayed. They gather further investigative leads that point to other Vietnam veterans as criminal associates of Meadows. Later, back at Wish's apartment, Bosch and Wish act on sexual impulses and sleep together. Meanwhile, Sharky runs into a stranger who seems extremely dangerous, who, as Sharky finds out later, knows his name. During this chapter, we will take a deep dive into Part 5, Thursday, May 24th. As always, there is a prerequisite concerning spoilers. It is our intention to stay away from them, but sometimes shit happens. And now, the thin blue line, Harry Bosch. Let's open up the murder book and turn a page to the chronological record so that we can do an investigative summary of the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Bosch reminisced about the night before where he and Wish had made love. Bosch received a page from Edgar telling him that Sharky's body had been found in a pedestrian underpass. Upon arrival to the crime scene, Wish snaps at Bosch for suggesting that she hang back due to the nature of the crime scene. Bosch crouches near Sharky's body, realizing he is somehow responsible for his death. 
Someone knows that Sharky has information that cannot be allowed to get out. This unconnected death means that things are out of control and the rules had changed. Bosch insists there is someone on the inside, but Wish points out that many people saw Sharky with them, to include his friends. Bosch declares that he had gotten the kid killed and intends on finding out who did it. Bosch and Wish respond back to the FBI and continue to look at the investigation with fresh eyes. Bosch turns to the Westland victims list of all of whom Wish says have been checked for criminal records and interviewed. Wish also points out that Frederick B. Isley was one of the box owners. Finding the Vietnamese connection too strong to ignore, Bosch examines 34 box holders with Vietnamese names. Bosch and Rourke argue that the Bosch expresses that maybe FBI has a leak concerning how important Sharky is to the investigation. Rourke counters this accusation by informing Bosch that LAPD has been following him due to their lack of trust of him. Lewis and Clark follow Bosch up the highway and phone in for instructions after they witness Bosch dropping something into the water off the Malibu Pier. After dropping the hypnosis memo, Bosch walks off the pier, resolved to get justice for Meadows and Sharky. He recognizes IED's Plymouth and is glad because Lewis and Clark are part of his new plan. He drives to the United States Administration Building, home of INS, and has Hector Venembono run a name search. Hector recognizes the name Nguyen Ben, who has high political connections in Washington, D.C. Hector tells Bosch that Ben's connection must have been at the highest level due to the expedient manner in which Ben was processed and granted entrance into the United States. Before driving away, Bosch makes sure that the IED car is with them. Lewis and Clark follow Bosch home, where Bosch observes them through the binoculars a half block up the hill. Working on a hunch, Bosch locates and finds the Nagra recorder in the junction box beneath the DWP electric meter on the back wall of his carport. Bosch disconnects it and carries it inside. Listening to the tape, Bosch knows that the tape has been changed since yesterday, sometime after Wish's visit. After a shower, shave, and putting on fresh clothes, Bosch puts in play plan concerning Lewis and Clark. Catching them asleep, Bosch was able to handcuff them to a tree. After Bosch promised to release them, Lewis informs Bosch that their orders were to surveil him. Bosch shows the two detectives the NAGRA, and they deny installing and listening to the recording device. After returning to the FBI, Bosch returns Villabona's call to learn that he cannot get a file on Ben because it's classified and suggests Bosch uses any contacts he has at the State Department. Wish and Bosch meet with Bob Ernst, Assistant Deputy Trade and Development. Wish explains they need background on the name that has come up in the case. Ernst advised that Ben was a former Saigon police captain and the head of the vice unit. Ben appears to have been one-third of a triad within the police department that orchestrated all corruptions. They have been converting illicit funds into diamonds compact enough to fit into two shoeboxes. A second captain dies in Vietnam, but the third, Nguyen Tran, escapes with Ben to the United States. Boss postulates that Meadows is part of Ben and Tran's treatment and wishes things that Ben uses the safe deposit for storage of the diamonds. Bosch and Wish conclude that Meadows was killed because he did not follow the plan to never sell any of the items stolen. Because Meadows pawned the bracelet, 
That messed up the plan because police would ask questions that might jeopardize the second part of the killer's plan to also steal trans diamonds. After dinner, Basha and Wish agrees to return to Wish's home. As they exit their car, Basha and Wish are almost run down by an unknown vehicle. A chase ensues, but the would-be assassin eludes capture. So, bro, hey, Phil. we uh, begin this chapter. What chapter is this? As we always, chapter five, Thursday, May 24th. And not just to say, we, we begin this chapter with Bosch and Wish at Wish's house just finished making love. This is not that type of cha- this is not that type of podcast. <laughs> Making love, yeah, right, right. You know, but how do you want to cross? See, they, you know, no, I knew no, what I say. I don't want to cross that line. I yeah, don't yeah, yeah. Cross you, that line, right, so right. Gonna, just some I'm things. Pump the brakes a little bit, but good. Let's just good, say if good. I was in a bar, I would refer to it as something else. Right, and, and so just with of note, Bosch even says to himself, "He's out of pack." practice and let's move on from there how's that well well you know well no i have to address something see because uh, here we go because because i'm a divorcee you're not so after being with someone for a significant amount of time like i think my marriage was like over 10 years um and you go back out there and put yourself out there again you know deep down inside you're a passionate you know love man but the first <laughs> time you like you love know man. you hook up with somebody, it's really awkward. You're like, what the fuck? How come I don't have my rhythm? What's going on? So when he identified that, I'm like, yep, I can relate to that. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, this shit's real. This is an authentic book. It ain't pretty, but you know, yeah. Got it. I took a, I took a note about that. Wrote that down. I'm just going to passively move on whatever man it's not being whatever it's such a square well one of the things that um again to keep going with eleanor's mysterious side uh she asked bosh uh quote unquote do you think you can be um how she said do you think you can be alone in this world and not be lonely that again goes towards her she says a couple of things that you know i I don't know what you say during those moments, but, you know, she said So it. what would you say if she said that to you? Well, I, You're I stumbling. Really, no, no, no. I really don't look at myself as being a loner. Well, I guess I am in some senses. Uh, so sense, so I don't uh, know. I, you I, are a loner. You didn't like riding with partners on the street. You'd rather be by yourself, whereas, like me, I like riding with a partner. So, well, yeah, when I was in scout car, I did like riding by myself. You're absolutely right. Okay. So, so again, how would you answer the question? I don't know. That's a good question. That's, can I give it thought? Can we move on? I mean, okay, yeah. Right excuse right, me. Right, All right, right, right out the box, we're talking. We're, we're talking. Um, you know, having sex and you know, making love, and, and now I gotta go with oh, touching feelings. Whoa, stuff. whoa, whoa! Time out, time out. You initiated this, not I'm, me. I'm just going down the line of of just giving a full account of this chapter for our listeners. Okay, but I'm just saying, but during giving this account, I thought the whole point of a podcast was active engagement. If I was wrong, we're just going to read from the script. Well, fuck it. We'll just read from the script. Where are my lines? <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. 
I'm just moving saying. on. Okay, right, you're right. On. Okay, no, no, no. You're right. Getting I'm a little wrong. sensitive. <laughs> All right, he's going into his man shell. Got it. Oh, Phil's in man. his man shell. So Got wait, 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 wait So you try to tell me between the two of us, you're the more kind of gentler one. You, you're the, you're, you're a cuddler. You like to cuddle. Uh, before what? I mean, that's just a wide <laughs> range of things. I'm moving on. To you know what? Who I doesn't forgot. love to cuddle? You know what? I forgot. You will always trump me on that kind of stuff. So I'm moving on. Spooning's fun. <laughs> He's okay. So then. <laughs> Can I point out something? Well, no, go sure. ahead. You're going to go down and give it a county. No, because I've got no, 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 no. my notes because I'm excited. Okay. But go ahead. So uh, after they finish talking, they Bosch receives a page. His pager goes off. And one of the things I remember that pager going off was when you first got it, um, it beeped and beeped and made this annoying sound. And it again, it, to our uh, newer listeners, or not newer listeners, I guess uh, younger listeners, until you know that in, that annoying chirp at 3 o'clock in the morning, believe me, it, it's, it's, it, I don't think back then there was no volume setting. Matter of fact, no, there was no volume setting on those. It just annoyed the hell out of you when it went off. Yeah, but like you as a young detective, weren't you excited? You're just like, ah, it's the case. Let's yeah. go. It, it, was, it was exciting the first month. Then after that, you um, you did not. Like, this is all bullshit. Yeah, like, oh, goodness gracious. And what uh, another thing, too, keep on going with this, this particular portion. When he answered, he looked at the number. He didn't know who it was. And I... I, I don't know if Michael, well, he didn't portray it, but when we used pagers, we had codes, again, codes, <laughs> un, un, inside codes. So when I got a page, again, um, most of the time, uh, my first investigative, my, uh, stop saying, um, my first investigative, my first investigative unit, it was in Vice. And we were, everyone had a number. So, Alan, when you page me after the 10 digit number, I would get like nine one one, and then after that, I would get your code. Um, and most of the time, your code was based on your seniority in the group. See, and, it's funny because by the time I got to a unit with a pager, which was our hazmat unit, they had the digital display on it, so I didn't have to worry about that. So I didn't get to experience right. that. You old right. man, right? Right. And, right, and right don't right, forget, audience. Man. Don't forget. Side note. Uh, we're keeping a count and tally of Phil's ums, so don't forget, <laughs> as you listen along, keep a tally and then email us with what you have. And believe me, I'm trying not to edit out the ums just so it is, again, we want to keep it real and don't want it to. So if you hear an um, let me know. Uh, I can take it because I want to work Technically, that's six right now. Who, who's counting, right? Wait a minute. Did you count right. the ones where I just used the word um? Hey, hey. Is that, hey would that be seven? so loud? Relax, bro. You're oh, I just want to make sure, now. you know. You're not under arrest right now, okay? We're just asking questions. I, I'm just trying to get the parameters. <laughs> All right, let's go on, Phil. We'll get off on a side tangent. Right, what was it? Focus, focus, focus. It, so when he gets, he receives a phone call from Edgar, and Edgar, like true partner, Edgar goes, Edgar asks him, so did you um, get my pager or something to the effect? And Bosch said, yeah, we got it. <laughs> and Edgar mm, says, yeah. Who, who's we? we? Right. right. We. <laughs> we. we. Is, it, is it the free, the, the, was it freebie woman? <laughs> <laughs> or the Phoebe <laughs> woman? <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like we have to work on our pronouns. It's like, ah, 
damn it, why did I use the word we? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Edgar starts asking him a couple of questions, and then Barr says to him, Edgar, why why are you calling me? So now it's like, and then he's, are you looking for, what, what was the boy's name? And Bosch couldn't remember. Was it Edward Neese? He goes, yeah. He said, you ain't looking for him no more. <laughs> like, oh. oh, and that was such a gut punch, too. It was, it was. How did you, you, know, you, you feel when you, um, when he, when you heard Edgar say that? It's funny because I have notes about that right there. And, of course, I'm showing you on camera, but the audience can't see that yet. I, I felt that punch in the stomach, and I think it speaks to uh, Michael Conley's ability and talent as an author because how the hell can I feel close to a particular character and then feel that punch of knowing that boy's dead? You know, it's like, right. God damn, this dude's good. This dude's right. good. And then, so and then I got to give him credit for that. And was and then as Bosch felt, as we will explore later on, he felt some sense of responsibility. Uh, you know, how could you not unless you were just totally disconnected? Right. So then we get to they Bosch and Eleanor respond to the crime scene. And when they get to the crime scene, it's where we left off in the last chapter, uh, the tunnel at the Rose, at the, the tunnel uh, going towards the Rose Bowl. And one of the things that Bosch did, and again, I, this is what I love about Eleanor. His character development for Eleanor is so spot on, at least to a lot of the strong police women I know. Because Bosch says, kind of like to me in a, I, I wouldn't call it a fatherly or a husband or a protective mode, where you don't have to go in there if you don't want to. And well, let me ask you this. Do you think that's because they consummated their relationship? Or do you think he's doing it because she's a woman? Do you think it's all of the above? Or do you think it's because she's the FBI? There's a lot of underlying issues there. So I, what do you think it is? Your, your first three, I believe, I, I would go with your first three. The latter would be the FBI. I, I okay. think I think it was all the the you know, the consummation, the protection, everything you said up until the point that she's a, a Phoebe or a, a, a federal investigator. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's so yeah, that, no, I, so yeah, so when she hits back on him, she says, "I'm a cop." <laughs> she ain't no cop. She's an FBI agent. What well, difference? Well, and she said, "Well, I've seen I've seen dead bodies before, you know." Right. So. Are you well, going to be protective of me now? And she called him Bosch. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, kind of saying, hey, look, here's a line. You crossed it. Back off. And, okay, I, I actually think I understand why he was kind of pr- pr- protective to her. But also in the same notion, understand she has to fight back or fight. Again, we, we, we take we're looking at her role in 2018 world. In 1992, homicide investigators or federal investigative females were a rarity. So here we once again, you know, you got to just bring, oh, we have to bring the listeners along back into, you know, 1992 era. Yeah, I was freshman in college. (laughs) One thing that I I, I glazed over to real quick, back to Michael Conley's talent. Um, yeah. He captured mm-hmm. that essence of that out of the blue notification um, <laughs> and how, <laughs> exactly. it, how it blinds it blindsides you. It's like you you have a trajectory. You think a case is going or your day's going or your week's going. And it's always that out of the blue notification that turns everything upside down. And the way he captured that with the notification about Sharky's death 
was was really spot on. I got to give him that. Again, I, I hope it doesn't become so redundant, but we just, again, the listeners, when you read his books, how authentic he is, and again, while we're doing this podcast, just to to uh, magnify that and to, to put a spotlight on it, it is what, so spot on. Well, you could literally take his books and put it right in the newspaper and go, yep, that's what happened last night. There's there's no embellishment. It's not Hollywood. It's That's why I'm disappointed in Amazon, but this whole side note. But his books are definitely spot on. They could be grabbed right out of the headlines. But anyway, I digress. We're walking up to the body. We ask Eleanor, hey, girl, you want to stay back? And she smacks our hand. <laughs> well, one of the things that Edgar asked Bosch is, do you want to see it? And re- reference to the wound, the fatal wound, or would, would they suspect that, that uh, killed Sharky? Well, don't forget, you skipped over something, too. Go ahead, go ahead. Important. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, but yeah, don't forget, um, Edgar's expressing his enthusiasm for his new partner, and Bosch is kind of needling him about that, which I think <laughs> is hilarious because uh, Edgar's hooked up with an established alcoholic, and that's a lot of fun. And what well, the audience doesn't realize is there's a lot of cops that are given that. Well, I don't know now because I'm retired, but back when I was on, I hate saying that, there were certain police officers and sergeants and lieutenants right. that had a drinking habit that the department kind of turned a blind eye to. And you were like, fuck, I just hope they don't come on my scene. Right. And I, I don't know if that's still in the culture since I've been retired for a couple of years. But that's def- that acknowledgement by Michael Connolly is like, yep, that shit sucks. And, and you're, again, you're right because it was a, kind of this unwritten rule that you knew who was the slush. A lush. Yep. Is it a lush or a slush? Uh, I think all the above. All the above, right. So you knew who that was, and just like you said, you're like, please don't partner me with him. Or, you know, if you had to get a temporary partner, please not with him. Please not him. And most of the time, a good investigator got put with him to carry his weight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't forget, too, before we go up to the body, uh, Edgar's giving the rundown on how they discovered the body. Go the for thing it. that stuck out to me was that uh, whoever made the call used a uh, uh, non-trace line, which flags are going off in my head, uh, are the perpetrators messing with us? You know, why else would you do that? Why else, if you're so savvy enough to use a non-trace line, why even bother making the call other than to fuck with me as an investigator? Right. And, and to call, if I remember, he called a non-recorded line and got one of their cadets or whatever they call those guys, uh, those little kids back in the day. Uh, who answered the phone, who didn't have enough presence to ask some specific pertinent questions. But the caller knew exactly what to do. And then, well, hell, since we're doing it, you can see also, too, that the spray paint was, uh, it says, you know, he lies sharky or rest in peace or something to that effect. Right. Oh, yeah. And it was with the untrained arm. So it had the the running drips on it. So, you know, it wasn't a professional tagger. Yeah. Someone's messing with us, Phil. somebody's, Somebody's fucking with us. Yeah. So then we get to the point where Edgar asks him, does he want to see it? And one one quick story I wanted to let the listeners know. I have spent one week in homicide. And what this scene is talking about is why I exited homicide quickly. So before, one of the trajectories to become homicide is you start out other investigative fields. Vice, robbery, 
um, burglary. auto theft, burglary, all those little things. Because what happens is it gets you to hone your skills when it comes to report writing, case management, interview techniques, and all of the above. So I was out one day and I just got it was a detail. <laughs> and, uh, it was called for uh, sounds of gunshots, and my partner, the homicide partner, we just had we were actually going out doing a, a re-interview of a particular uh, subject, and so we <laughs> we hear this sounds of gunshots, and we said, "Oh shit, we like right around the corner." Long story short, we are like the first people arrive on the scene, which is very rare. And my partner jumps out of the car, and he gets out of the car, and, and he starts performing. You know, we see the uh, the deceit. Well, at the time it wasn't deceit, but we see the victim lying on the street. And he gets out and starts performing mouth to mouth resuscitation. Oh. And while he does, yeah, and while he does that, the, <laughs> the brain at the top where the, where the exit wound, you start seeing this, this oh, as he okay. pushes. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah. It starts going I mean, in and out. I'm like, dude, stop! I'm yelling, stop, stop! I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, why are you giving him mouth to mouth? The oh air's coming out of his head, and he hey. goes, what? And I said, so oh that immediately that night, I said, yeah. I'm out of this joke because I can't take that at all. So just a housekeeping note. Um, so me and my infatuation with intimacy somehow crosses some make-believe line, but we can talk about literally blowing someone's brains out, and that's okay. Right. I really could have done without that image. Thanks, bro. And uh, well, I was, hey, look, I just want, again, what do we say? We just I, I, that when I, every time I read that passion passage. That reminds me of why I didn't. I didn't. I, I literally did like a week in homicide, so I didn't have the stomach for it because I I I almost lost it. You know, like, I was I was, I just yeah, that wasn't for me. On behalf of the entire staff of the podcast, I'd like to apologize to the listeners for having that image seared into your brain now. <laughs> the next time I see my brother, I will punch him in the stomach for you guys. That concludes our service announcement. <laughs> okay, the fuck's service. wrong with you, man? <laughs> Holy cow. I, I just, I, I didn't know it was a cross line. I was trying to get the, get the, oh, yeah. get the, yeah. get the Would listeners Would you tell that into, to your grandkid? Uh, we did say this is an explicit, uh, we did say this. Okay, point. All right. Okay, so you told your story. We're screwed up now. And <laughs> we're going to... <laughs> <laughs> Show is derailed. No, I'm kidding. But go ahead. No, no. So, well, let's so let's spin back onto what you were saying about someone's fucking with Bosch because yes, he he has an epiphany. He says, you know, metals was part of a thing. The uh, pretty much said the, the circle and events that killed him. He understands that, and even though Sharky, who at some time might have killed somebody, this particular time right now, he didn't deserve to be killed. Well, it's funny you brought that up. Because I, I again, <clears throat> I took a note, and Sharky, in my opinion, represents a walking paradox. On one hand, you have a victim of a crime, but you also know in the future he's going to commit crimes and right. gradually escalate. So how do you square that paradox? That's, and that, I think, is the turmoil that a lot of police officers right. go through. Right, it's right. like you're seeing evil done because I don't care who you are you, the dead body's a dead body and correct, correct. the innocence even though the soul left the body the innocence got returned to the body in my opinion when you're looking at a dead corpse so you don't see Sharky in this instance as a perpetrator but as soon as your brain starts going wait a minute hold on the intellect part kicks in 
this fucker is going to end up hurting someone in the future. But right. your your inside is constantly having this battle. He's right. a victim. He's right. going to be a perpetrator. He's right. a victim. He's a perpetrator. And you have to put that shit in check to maintain the investigation. And that's what I say. Like, he's a walking paradox. Well, and I think even at this junction, Bosch has said, okay, now rules have changed for both sides because they've crossed the line. When you go after a witness, when you go after a witness and just for the sake of killing a witness, it's like, okay, dude, you know what? Now now you just crossed the line. So when I come back at you, I'm going to cross the line. It's just certain well, it goes things. back to what we said like in the early chapters that there was an acceptable amount of collateral damage that was acceptable for the bad guys. So this is just illustrated by this. It's like, okay, as I say, the shit just got real. It like, just got okay, real. Correct. Yeah. We know we're going toe-to-toe with some stone-cold killers here. Exactly. And what's – again, to, to, to um, expand, expand on one of the things that we, we point out in cop life is everyone is hindsight. Everyone money that quarterbacks you. And even in this situation – kind of Edgar kind of Monday Night Quarterback's Bosch decision to not put a tighter clamp on on Sharky. Which he should. You, you, you know what? That, I did. think you need that balance in a partnership to, one, build trust, but also hold you accountable and make you better. Right. Well, he said, you know, hey, tell me. He pretty much said, you know, hey, tell me what the kid told you. And why is he running out here loose? And you got to question yourself because, again, like we said, no, no, nowhere is hindsight better than in cop work. And so Bosch yeah. will be uh, not criticized, but he'll be judged. Judged. For um, those choices. Right. And, and, and you got to think about it. You got to think about why did he stash him up, knowing that he was going to do what he's going to do, run away. And right. we, he, he knew that. You know, and that's that the stakes are too high. And it's one of those things I guarantee he won't make that mistake again. Well, it, it, yes, I agree. One side note, too. One thing that was sure. just irking me is just as Egger's briefing Bosch, Egger's partner Porter keeps chiming in and he's being extremely <laughs> sarcastic and obnoxious and drunk. And I could just relate to it. It's, I would have to send that dude on a fucking errand or something or I would say, it would be really hard for me to maintain that level of professionalism when I knowingly have someone here that's drunk. It's like, really, shut the fuck up. You just go get away from my scene. Go Go back to the bar. We'll come get you. We'll come get you. Well, I think even even Edgar said that he uh, he he found Porter at the bar, and you know you're a really bad drunk when you uh, bring your own bottle to a, a bar. <laughs> you are really 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 bad off if that's yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, I you know and and again as as they're approaching the body, one thing that stuck out to me is that Eleanor is a total distraction to Harry. He can get so sidetracked by something as little as her perfume. And I know he can be yeah. professional and push through that. But Michael made a, a point to make a note of that. And it's it's one of those things. It's yeah, why. Good, good observation. You, yeah. You, you can't consummate a relationship as partners because it just, there's too many variables as it is on the street. Now you're just adding to it. And the job's hard enough as it is not to have those kind of things. <clears throat> Sorry. Audience, that's Phil. He forgot to put his phone on silent. <laughs> We're keeping it real. We're keeping it real. <laughs> that guy in class. <laughs> anyway, 
Eleanor's a total distraction, and Eleanor is a total distraction. And from when, beginning and to then, end, and then you know, keep the shade going. Edgar's like really, and I, I really got to understand Edgar's motive here because he's just throwing shade all over Bosch because he said pretty much, do you know what this weekend is? This is Memorial Day weekend, the biggest, the biggest time in which. Um, you know, you sell houses and stuff. He make more money, a third of his pay in this one weekend that he did all for the whole year. So that was extremely extreme. He keeps throwing shade at him. Say, so you know what? I understand what this guy might be part of your case. And what we might have to do is have um, to have pounds reassign his case to you and the FBI woman. But I'm going to work it as a straight nine to five. And I think in our first our first episode, we talked about what a nine to fiver is. Well, you know, and is is Edgar pointing out uh, Harry's potential mistakes with stashing a witness out of a sense of duty, or he's just fucking annoyed because he caught a body and he might have to get pulled from his real estate. So maybe Edgar's not being so self righteous here; he's actually being right. piece of shit. Well, you know, he did. And, but he did, again, and just to keep understanding the shade that he was throwing at Bosch, but he did make a good point because he said, you know what? You know, it, 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 was so, it was so typical, Harry. He said, hey, but maybe you and the FBI over there should look out for your witness a little bit better and save me a little bit of time and save that boy a whole, little, a whole lot of little life. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, that's, that's oh, I'm not going to say oh. it's crossing the line, but good Lord, you're flirting with it. You're well, it goes back to what we were saying. It was going back. Well, you said it. You said Harry deserved it to a certain extent. Did Harry deserve it? And did he deserve it? And it sounded like he kind of did in Edgar's eyes. It sounded like he, Edgar said, dude, I'm in this position right now. Yes, I'm being selfish, but at the end of the day, this kid lost his life because maybe you should have pulled him off the street if he was that important to your case. And but again, we said just be, in Bosch's defense, we didn't really know he was that important to the case. But the killers now made him important to the case. Yeah, and that's just another charge we're going to throw on top. So then we have Bosch and Eleanor go back to the FBI headquarters to again. Remember, Bosch was brought in. Primarily for fresh eyes, and some of the fresh eyes that they that they that we pulled in, we're following up on information from Charlie Company, and now from Charlie Company, Bosch has put started to put pieces together where he's like, you know what? Let's look at that list again of all the people who didn't report anything stolen, and let's even break it down to Vietnamese, you know, because now we have this this Vietnam connection between Metals, um, Delgado, and and Franklin. Isn't it kind of funny, too, like when the investigation starts to come together, it seems clearly obvious what's going on. But during it and just before it starts, you seem like there's no way we'll be able to figure this out. Right, right. And one of the things, again, that comes up when he looks at the list, and didn't, I think I did last episode, uh, I, yeah, I did articulate to listeners about the, the cards for the safe deposit boxes, how you sign off on it. Well, looking at those that, that card sheet, you see someone's initials FBI. Again, the perpetrators fucking with them, The who possibly whoever is going to be investigating this case. You know, it was a Franklin B. Isley, again, shows up again, who has, now you have the AT, ATV uh, purchases. Now you have the person who signed, who, who boxed, 
who was inside the uh, vault. So you know, we have two, um, you know, FBI, uh, Franklin B. Isley. So this person's definitely fucking with them. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I almost respect it though. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, you got to look. Why, why do a crime thinking that the police aren't going to come after you? You're going to do a crime because you know the cops are coming after you. So fuck it, let's let's dance. Right. You know, let's, let's do it, it. You know. Right. Who's smarter than who? Right. You go. You're going to catch me. Let's go. So as they're going through the notes before, and I, I'm sorry, I did jump ahead a little bit because Edgar asks loudly, "Hey, who knew that? Who knew Sharky was important to your case?" And oh, Bosch, yeah. as they get into the car, Bosch asks Wish the same thing. And then he says, well, what about Rourke? What about the F- people FBI? And she goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go down that road because who knows? And that's a big leap, especially because we pulled him off the street. We took him into the bureau in front of everybody. Um, we we stopped at his, his the, the flop house with his girlfriend. His mother knew. So it was a lot of people who knew that they were out, that, that the police had an interest in Sharky. But, you know, Bosch yeah. couldn't let it go. He couldn't let that go. And so they get into the um, when they get, after they're going through this list again, Rourke shows up, and you know so he Bosch automatically remember he does not like Rourke, and, he and Rourke said, doesn't like him either. And Rourke does not like him. And again, yeah. I love you know, what, what Michael did in this scene was so classic because Rourke trumped him because he says, "Well, how did you know uh, LAPD had the case?" And Rourke said, "Well, I, I kind of guessed it. I mean, and it's." Well, what are you getting at, Bosch? He said, I want to know who'd you tell. He said, well, if you think that that we there's a leak, I'll call internal affairs right now. He said, but maybe you should worry about your own people. That's right. And he, as Michael describes it, Rourke is on his tiptoes like a boxer looking around for <laughs> right, some going people. Back and forth. Yeah, like, going back hey, and forth. Up, right, That's right, right, buddy. You worry about me. Your own people don't even trust you because they got a tail on you. And he looked at Eleanor like, that's right. She told me about the tail. She made the tail the first night. And so now Bosch gets this betrayal because like, yep. wait a minute. But remember, he didn't tell her about the trail, but he now wants to be upset that she didn't tell him about the trail, the tail. So come on, man. Well, I, yeah, all right. So one, the tale he knew was on him. So I get him not telling her because he was probably, and I'm making an assumption, he was probably thinking if I tell her, it could get me kicked off the case. And I don't want, I want to be seen as a help, not a hindrance. I totally get that. But for her not to tell, when she's the outsider from LAPD, it's really hard to build trust. And, and it's exaggerated because they just hooked up the other night. So, right. again, all the problems that they could face are exacerbated because they had that intimacy. Right, right. And, again, before I got married, yeah, I, I used to date a female cop, and it was you not. Oof. You Oh, you didn't follow Dad's advice? Oh, man, you're No, I didn't. No, I didn't. That was the one piece of advice Dad gave that I followed. He's like, son, you can do anything you want when you join the department. Just never hook up with a female cop. And I'm like, why, Dad? He says, they have guns. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, he was being, he wasn't being sarcastic. He was being, like, dead serious. And for whatever reason, that just, like, really hit me. Like, all right, Pop, I haven't listened to you for 21 years, but for some reason today I'm I'm going to start. I'm going to listen to you, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, right then, Bosch gets pissed off. And as he's pissed off, he then leaves the FBI, leaves Eleanor there, 
and then rolls out really fast. And then we pick up with ID. We go to the you know ID sees him rolling out really fast, and yeah. and Lewis and Clark are like, oh, he's on the move, he's on the move. And then was here's that typical thing that you said in the last couple of podcasts where ID again are messing up this guy's investigation. And not only that, they say, hey, I think we can get a um, get him rolled up on that whole witness thing, not taking proper precautions oh, for the witness. God. Yeah. Well, side note. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I said, um, uh-oh, sorry, Aud, that's, hold on. <laughs> that's one for Alan and 17 for Phil. Okay, so <laughs> Rourke totally top-dogged him there, and I know me personally walking out of that office building, knowing that he top-dogged me in front of people would just steam me even more. I would right. be so fired up and flustered behind it. But then leaping forward... Once again, here we are, IAD exposes Bosch and, and puts him in a vulnerable position with the FBI, among other things. So it's like, hey, either he's legit or he's not, but what you guys are doing is totally inappropriate, in right. my opinion. No, I, I I totally agree with you. And at this point of the at this point we understand the IED is um, following him around at the behest of uh, Chief Irving Irvin, but that still does not negate the fact that they are being a hindrance to him. Well, yeah, and the the fact that it's personal now, it just, excuse me, fucking pisses me off. Because, one, it's like, all right, there are cops out there that do need the attention of IAD, and we got to get them off the street because they're breaking the trust with the community, and that's bad. That makes it unsafe for police officers, and I need those fuckers gone, period. Right, right, But right, the right. fact, if you have to think of charges on a cop, you're crossing a line. And then if you're motivated by personal discourse, it's, it just makes it even worse. To me, in that context, IAD is worse than a criminal. Because at oh. least with the criminal, I know it's like, all right, bad guy, Billy, you're going to go do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. Right. And my job is right. to catch you. Cool. IAD, though, you're supposed to be on my side. And I have no clue. I have to worry about the street. My personal life, now i got to worry about threats from inside. So. Well, remember, a lot, a lot of IED people, just like any career, if you want to go upper management, you do have to have a stint in IED in one form or fashion. Because the, the more upper mobility you are, the more you're going to be held responsible for the people and your subordinates underneath of you. So if you want a career ladder, you somehow you are in the more notches on your belt. Again, it's a fast track to upper management because they, they management, again, in my opinion, looks at you willing to do anything. You can you can do your own for the better, quote-unquote, greater good. But And I understand that, and I totally appreciate it. And if I was a career track-minded, I would definitely do it. But I would be motivated by going after those cops that blatantly break the trust of exactly. the community yeah. and my fellow officers yeah. versus <clears throat> somebody that, like, did me wrong or hooked up with my ex-girlfriend or something, and now I have a vendetta against them. That's right. totally not cool. I agree with that. So then, so Bosch, what he does is Bosch leaves the um, pier after some being resolute. No, no, before, yeah, after, um, and he remembers, he has a contact. Again, remember this, Bosch is a seasoned investigator with a lot of contacts. And I think we, again, to, to, to point out what we were talking about last podcast was how you don't want to blow Good contacts. You want you want to if you can just because you can do something don't mean you should do something. And he has this one individual, uh, Hector, and I, I think it's Villabona, 
who works at INS back then, you know, the new ICE today, but INS back then. And he took those Vietnam names. And again, you just grasping. At this point, Sharky's dead. Eleanor, he, has, he thinks has betrayed him. I'm grasping at something. I, I'm trying to follow any investigative leads because if, if I don't, things are just going to slow down. And Hector is one of those guys that said, let's do it. It starts running names for Bosch. Yep. And real quick, just to fall back on that IED thing. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. No, go for it. No, 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 go. No. We don't want to glaze over that. IED followed him to the pier. He dropped something into the water. And IED is breaking their neck, taking pictures. They're arguing amongst themselves. It's a really haphazard surveillance operation on Bosch. And they're literally, no pun intended, at the pier fishing for something. You yeah, know, it's, it's clear they don't have anything and they're looking for any morsel of evidence to bring charges against them. And I think it's kind of funny how Lewis and Clark are literally like Beavis and Butthead. They're two dumbasses that just argue with each other and lack the professional investigative skills, right. I think, to go anywhere besides IED. Well, and you so, do, you I digress. Do, no, no, but you do have those cops that do that. Or or how many times we know those type of guys get promoted and it's not because of what they know, it's who they know. Hey, I got it. I don't want to call his name out, but there was a particular sergeant that had zero investigative experience. And when he got promoted to sergeant, he was sent to the detective shooting. So right. It's like, well, wait a minute. Hold on. You've never even written a search warrant. How the hell can you supervise my search warrants and criticize them? And what's missing if you've never even gone through the process of it? So plant that. that yeah. <laughs> plant. Hey, uh, Alan, you got to fix this shit. You got to tighten up uh, line four here. Uh, right. Yeah, Sarge, how many times have you done that? Uh, that's beside the point. I wear the stripes. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, how about you shove that up your ass? All right, anyway, sorry. Focus, focus, focus. Focus. All right, so we're at INS with, I can't pronounce his name. Help me out, Phil. Let's just call him Hector because I don't want to mess we'll up. <laughs> I, don't, I tried it earlier. I, I just let's, let's say Hector. And Hector right. Hector runs all the Vietnam uh, Vietnamese uh, Vietnamese names off of the list he got from um, FBI, and one of the l- names that stood out was a guy named um, again I'm going to mess it up. I just say Ben Noivoin Ben, and Ben what was make Ben stand out was he said whoa, you know one he came in to the U S during the f- fall of Saigon. In four days, he got in to the United States and got his um, his his visa and his uh, deal. What do they call it? Let me let me back up. Let me oh, hold on a second because I want to make sure I get this right. We're gonna start this over. Dod. Okay. So Hector Hector runs those names for Bosch, and one of the names that stood out for him was a guy, uh, a Vietnamese gentleman, last name Ben, and I don't want to mess up the first first name. But what made Ben so stand out was Hector said, dude, this guy's connected. And Bosch said, well, how do you know he's connected? He said, because one, he came during the time when Saigon fell. Mm-hmm. Two, he evidently, he by the time he, that was three days, four days from the time Saigon fell, he had tickets to get into the United States. And then while he got here, within another two days, he got his DOD. You know, he got his INS papers so he can get his immigration papers so he can become a, uh, a U.S. citizen. Damn it, Phil. See, that's why we need that wall. If we had a physical wall <laughs> back then. <laughs> <laughs> ben when it got in here. Son of a bitch. Go right. on, Phil. I'm sorry. Right. No, no. So he, he actually, um, Hector actually 
says this guy is connected. So now Bosch like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. He leaves the same day that Metals leaves. That's you know, a coincidence, Phil. That's a coincidence. And what do we say about coincidences? No such thing in police work. Exactly. So he, um, but he, as Hector said, hey, Hector, can you uh, give me the telephone number, not the, the file? And he said, I don't have those files. Those files are co- kept in D.C. because he seemed to be connected somehow. Some Maybe he's a source. Who knows? And he Let gives, me ask you this, too. Sure, sure. Go ahead, real go quick. Ahead. Mm-hmm. So the level of corruption that was prevalent in Vietnam during the fall between U.S. soldiers and the Vietnamese, do you think that's consistent in all wars, like the Iraq war, what's going on now in Syria, Afghanistan, or do you think that was just exclusive to Vietnam because of all the opium and how fucked up that war was? I don't know. But you know, when uh, our father comes on board, that would be a great another question to ask him. And again, for the listeners, he's catching up on the book and he will be onboarding pretty soon. And I he's think that would be slow. Right, but, but, but that'll be a great question to ask him because you know he saw a lot. You know he would, it, 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 he's well past the statutory limitations, so he could let us know. He's still not going to tell us shit. He, he's old school like that. Well, I hope you know what we're going. We're going to have to drag it out of him. And look, look, if he doesn't waterboard him, right? We're going to have fun, and the listeners going to see how come he hates when you, uh, you and I are together with him. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to see that. Well, as he leaves, he um, he, he he tells. He gives Hector his the number of FBI, but it doesn't tell Hector's FBI. Now I know what. Why do you think that Bosch did not tell Hector he's working with FBI? Because uh, he don't want to. Me, I don't. I think he doesn't want to spook him. Because as soon as you say FBI, your butthole tightens up. You're like, oh, wait a minute, what's going exactly, on? Exactly, exactly. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa, hey, this is a little bit out of my comfort zone. I'm in the right lane. I'm not drifting to the left. That's you. I don't care who you are, unless you're. You know, this president, you hear FBI, you're like, shit. The only thing worse than FBI is IRS. Exactly. So, <laughs> I just, matter of fact, I'm looking over my shoulder now. Just <laughs> those guys well, scare me. So, like, uh, Bosch went to the pier, he went to uh, INS. Um, and one of the things he, he put up, he, what Rourke said to him stuck with him your own people don't trust you. And so he starts stick with back. you too, though. I mean, that that's a hell of a seed to plant. Oh, it was. But here's the thing: the the seed was true because based on his in, you know intuition, what Rourke said, ID following him, he starts th- uh, thinking about wait a minute, why the, the some of the missed phone calls or the hang up on the phone calls that he had? It's like I mean, somebody planted a bug on me. I bet any amount of money, maybe that's how Sharky died because somebody knew about Sharky. Yeah. So he was able to, you know, going doing that, he was able to go back into his house and he tested the first and see, because there's two type of bugs, especially back then, that you have live monitoring or one that's going to what we call a Nagra, reel to reel. And a Nagra, well, the Nagras were undercover work were just Don't get crazy. too technical. You're going to bore gotcha. the audience. Gotcha. Okay. So imagine a Nagra, imagine the old reel to reel cassettes, not cause, tapes. And the Niagara was just a miniature version of that, just really small. And it did pretty much the same thing. It recorded the audio, and but it was so small that you can conceal it. Back then, you can, can conceal it pretty much anywhere. So Bosch 1 finds the T9 in his phone, and then he also finds the Niagara con, con, uh, concealed in the um, 
the DPW junction box outside the carport of his house. So now he's like, okay, some this is bullshit. These two, and it was a classic law enforcement because they were all standard. All law enforcement had a standard Nagra, and because matter of fact, back then I think Nagra was exclusive. That type was exclusive to law enforcement. Don't hold me to that, but I'm almost positive that one particular model was exclusive to law enforcement. And you're not paranoid if they're coming after you. So exactly, he's being valid. His paranoia is being validated, which just causes you emotionally and psychologically to start to snowball. Oh, it does. But then he starts to now that gave, but it gave him gives him the resolution to to be to put in play his plan. And do you want to tell what he did? Well, and see, here's the thing, too, is I understand he may think that IAD planted the bug. But given the scope of this investigation and all the legs and tentacles that it has, you got to put that shit in check and you have to be open to all possibilities because you can miss something. But that's yeah, hard you, to do when you're in the moment. That really is. Because like, just think about it. Rourke top dog do. Then, you know, IAD still following you. Then you get home and you find a bug in you. It's like, what the fuck? It's just like the punches just keep coming one after another. So he, while this is happening, let's keep in mind, he's getting himself wound up more and more. And I don't think that's unreasonable. Any one of us, including the listeners that went through something like that, especially on the heels of, I just saw a dead kid that I might have had a part in. So you got a right. dead kid, work top dog me. I see my own people don't trust me. Now I find a fucking bug in my house. I'd be losing my shit. Well, plus two, remember he said back in his chapter that LAPD just went through a, a stint where they got sued civilly for illegally bugging people. And right. so he, I think he even said in this particular chapter, he said, I think you, well, I, I, what's your impression of what he does next? Oh, you're talking about his uh, interaction with the two lads outside? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. You do it. Okay. So. I just laid the groundwork for why Bosch is emotionally fired up. Again, dead kid might have had something to do with it. I go to FBI headquarters. I'm getting needled by this guy, Rourke. He's top-dogging me and, of course, in front of my new would-be girlfriend. So there's that level of personal embarrassment and professional embarrassment. That's only solidified by I'm outside. There's IAD following me again. I'm amped up. I go home. I find a bug in me. Then I look outside, and there's those two fucking jackasses, Beavis and Butthead or Lewis and Clark. <laughs> right. I know they're sitting outside. So you know what? At this point, yeah, all bets are off. Let's go confront them. And the way he confronted them was awesome. That's when, you know, the, the story had a it's very engaging, and uh, it, it's bringing you along. It, it's, it's feeding all of my curiosity. But then, you know, I'm a guy. I'm an alpha male, so I want some action. So here it comes. You know, you have Bosch, he sees them, he sees that they're not being too observant, he slips behind them, he notices that the windows are down, and then, bam, reaches in, <laughs> grabs them both by the ties, and yanks them. Whoa, I love it, scaring the shit out of them. Long story short, it's a physical struggle, but he ends up being able to handcuff them both <laughs> I to know, the tree, right, right, right. which has got to be the worst thing ever for a cop. One, for someone to get the drop on you. Two, to get handcuffed by your own handcuffs, that's got to be that. I wouldn't want to go through that. I might consider quitting after that. Right, right. Well, it was even better because while he was doing a whole that thing, again, it tells you the time difference. When he was doing all that, 
a car drove by and he pulled his badge and said LAPD, and the person just took off, kept on going. Now, can you imagine 2018 doing that bullshit? Whatever, like first thing you do is pull out the iPhone and start recording. Yeah, absolutely. And then during this whole thing where Bosch is fishing for information from Lewis and Clark, he's playing it really cool. He's not surrendering his leverage, which is more like he's fishing to try to corroborate his suspicions, and he's not giving too much without getting in something in return. Um, and I, I think that's a smart way he did by keeping that bug. It's like, well, I'm just going to hold on to this bug, and I'm going to use it against you guys in the future. Even if I have to lie and make up some shit, yeah, never, ever surrender your um, your leverage. And he didn't, and he didn't. So, But he was able to get, he was able to confirm a lot of things from Lewis and Clark, like one who had access to the files that, you know, that he picked up Sharky. But as Lewis kept saying, hey, look, we didn't put Sharky's name. It was just surveillance reports. We didn't even know the guy's name. And he said, who did it go to? Well, of course it went to Irving. Who else? Nobody. Bullshit. And he called him up. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's against the policy, but we 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 following orders. Uh, Chief Irving told us to uh, to notify uh, Lieutenant Pounds. So he you know was how annoying it's that everyone lies to the cops, even your own people. It's like, all right, we know it, the first couple of answers are always going to be lies. Let's just cut to the chase. Let's just cut to the chase, right? So he again, so he was able to get some good information from Lewis and Clark, and the fact is that. He found out who exactly, who else had access to Sharky. So now he, this world who has access to information of Sharky it just got even bigger. It just got really, it, got, it just got that much more bigger about who, um, who's accessing the information to his investigation. And, you know, it, it's interesting. At this point, this is where your patience really has to rise to the top. But what Bosch is battling is the anxiety of Sharky's death because that amplifies everything and gives this sense of urgency. Like, you want some closure now. It's becoming emotional. And it's like poker. You have to play it cool because if you let that anxiety get the best of you, you're not going to be able to flush out who really killed this kid. Right. So after he finished that uh, interaction with uh, Lewis and Clark, he then goes back to the FBI building and he I wouldn't say confronts, but he encounter he he he, he kind of like now he's kind of guarded. At least that's my sense. He's guarded with Eleanor, and, and he says, "Hey, you, you, no one's in no one's no one's in the squad." He says, "You've been here all morning." She said, "Yeah," and no, no, she said, "No, she wasn't there all morning." That they took some of the the uh, the mug shots of Delgado and Franklin to the clerk. And the clerk, one of the, the vault clerks, recognized Franklin as uh, uh, as Franklin B. Isley. So now this investigation is starting to really focus on, you know, now we got some people. Now we got legs to this investigation. But, you know, one thing that stuck out, too, during that encounter is I got the impression that Bosch was still looking for that familiarity after having sex with someone. And she's being distant. And that hit him like a punch in his stomach. That's the impression I got. Oh, it did. Oh, believe, and I'm not trying to minimize it or, or glaze over, gloss, me, gloss over that particular portion because I think he was intimate. He told her a couple of things about himself. He found himself, even from chapter one, telling her stories that he had, like he said, I didn't have anything told my therapist about. So he had this instant connection with her, her mysterious side. And I think the fact that she didn't tell him about the eye detail kind of really kind of bothered him. Yeah, it did. Um 
Yeah, that's it. Um, right, hold on. That's two for Allen and 34 for... Fred. I was just a 17, sucker. <laughs> that's how bad you are. But, well, you know, it's, it's, at this point, too, don't forget, the FBI is starting to realize with Sharky's death that maybe Bosch's involvement is no longer needed. Right. And right. I found that terribly convenient. Well... Now, now, because remember, only reason that they brought him in is to keep him quiet or keep him close. You know what? It, what was the old yeah. adage? I'd rather have you inside the tent pissing out, opposed to outside the tent pissing in. So that's why they brought Bosch in on this investigation. <laughs> I like. And that. when and so Bosch and why he gets and while Bosch is talking to Eleanor about the follow the follow up investigation the FBI has been doing while he's been running around, is that. And he gets a phone call from Hector. And Hector goes, dude, what are you doing? Tell him. Well, Eleanor said he got a call from Hector, and he calls Hector back. And Hector says, what are you doing dealing with the FBI? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you later. Basically, just like you just said earlier, because if he, if Hector knew that FBI was involved, I don't think Hector would have helped him out as much as he did. Because Probably not. It, right. But he did tell he did tell Bosch that, that, again, he called him Captain Ben. You know, right. So now he finds out that the, this gentleman... Who was on the who was on the um, plane at the same time or left Vietnam the same time that Meadows did is now a captain and the files are classified. Now this thing is really becoming amped up. It's really now going up higher. Well, it's, it's funny that because that, that ducktails into what happens next, where Bush turns to Eleanor and says, "Hey, do you have any contacts at the State Department?" Mm-hmm. And she kind of like, well, yeah, I do, and it's a guy I know. And so Eleanor, and they're in a federal building, so Eleanor uh, makes the contact to her, quote-unquote, State Department <laughs> contact. <laughs> <laughs> we all know what that means. And so let's, let's, go, let's go meet him. I got a guy. And so Again, let the listeners know the beard, the building that they're in is a federal building that houses pretty much all the FB, uh, the F- alphabet soup of federal government, and just so happened they had a a, rep- a State Department representative representative office there, and Eleanor knew an individual, uh, Bob Ernest, and we we loved it. His title was deputy, excuse me, assistant deputy of trade. And what was it? Assistant Deputy Trade and Development. Trade and Development. Yeah. <laughs> like, does that does that not re spook FBI uh, CIA with such an ambiguous name? Hey, I have to say it's for the greater good. What I like is when they finally meet with uh, Mr. Ernest. It was in a very plain Jane standardized office that clearly wasn't his. I'd love that. Right. Like, right. Well, well, I even like it goes. Hi, Ellie. <laughs> well, you know what he's doing there. He, he's he's and when he leaves out Dominus there in front of well, Bosch. so you so you picked up on that also, right? You yeah, you, yeah, you picked yeah. up on that too. He's yeah. letting Bosch like, know, like, hey, you may be here, but I know something more personal about her. So fuck off, Bosch. That's what he's doing. But in my opinion, that's what I would do. Like, let's let's establish who's the alpha here. Well, I, I love I love the th- he said. What kind of case is the FBI working with LAPD homicide? What I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Compartmentalize. Let's compartmentalize this. this. Yeah, and I, it's pretty smart. Very smart. And again, not to not not to get too much in the weeds on this, but pretty much Bob pretty much tells 
uh, Eleanor and Bosch that Captain Ben was part of a triad uh, of, uh, of three different captains in Vietnam who first facilitated the drug trade. You had to pay these captains to turn a blind eye. And well, not just drug trade, any illicit trade. And so out of, when, when Saigon fell, before Saigon fell, these guys, not only were they you know, being protection, they took over the, hummus, uh, the, the opioid or the, or the heroin market in this particular region of, of, the, of Vietnam. And so, I can tell you too. When what I, was when interesting? In, go ahead. Go ahead. Now I was going to say one no, thing. I want to point no, out when I lived in China, I was taught—not taught—or I was briefed by the State Department about how dangerous the triads could be. And I actually had an experience in a nightclub where I was rousted by local PD because I was—I'm not going to say suspected of being a triad, but working with them. And when they saw the American passport, suddenly I was free to go so it's just that stuff is real the triads are no joke well I, even bob even says hey captain ben ran the vice unit back then you know so he not only had the muscle he not only knew the people he also had the, the means to carry out and to take over the opioid trade so now again let's go back on what we got going on here we got one that Meadows is a, a heroin. All these little, now the pieces, are, like you said, are starting to put, come together. We got Meadows, who was an MP back in Vietnam. Also, Meadows, when he was here, you just don't start picking up being a heroin addict. He probably was dealing heroin back then. So not only did Captain Ben have access and the means and methods to take over the, the opioid trade, but then we know that Meadows was an MP, so you know they had to have some type of interaction. Then we have the fact that him and Meadows left uh, Vietnam at the same time. And we also knew that Meadows had, was a, hero, is a heroin addict. So all these things started to come together. And then Bob makes the point that these guys had converted the money. Because remember, they're supposed to be local captains. So they took over the narcotic trades, and they were preparing for the, the fall of Saigon. They turned the proceeds of their illicit narcotic trade into diamonds. And diamonds can be much easily concealed in something the size of a shoebox. Like, uh-oh, wait a minute. Here we go. So now this is talking about getting this investigation it has some legs. Now it's starting to run. Uh, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So what's the difference between an illicit drug trade and and non-illicit drug trade? Isn't it all just the drug trade, Phil? It's always just the drug trade. Come, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're busting my... I'm just, uh, listeners, I'm just this is my brother busting my balls. <laughs> Say man, you ain't gotta be so formal. Relax, bro. Relax. Hey man, this this part, this I'm all amped because this part now is starting. Because what Michael you, did, he you threw feel like you're back at work. All, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> guess why I love this book. This is why I love this book because how many times I've read this book and how long ago I still get jazzed because the pieces starting to fall to, together. And in our world, when you when pieces starting to fall together. You're like, oh, so now you want to start digging more. You want to move more and more and more. So what you well, have is, go ahead, go ahead. Now I was going to ask you, isn't it kind of funny, though, how Ernest was totally fucking with him by parsing the information and totally toying with him? Did you pick up on that? Oh, of course. And he knew, I think even in this chapter, boss information he gave, you know, he said they always hold something back. And you yeah. know he knows more because he knows a lot. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, like the way Ernest was describing the drug trade and the loss of life and what went with it, it it's always 
been amazing to me that the CIA could be so matter of fact about fucked up things. Right. Because the greater good supersedes everything. It's just like, right. oh, yeah, that's what happens. Right. And so in this, so Ernest tells him, you know, that the proceeds of the illicit trade, thank you very much, total approximately $8 million. <laughs> and remember, it was, so it was three different captains. Well, out of the three captains, one of the captains died. So now who made the trip from Vietnam during the fall of Saigon back here to, to the States was Ben and another captain named Tran. So two people who were in the drug trades have $8 million at their disposal. So one would assume that they split up $4 million worth of diamonds each. You know, it's funny. In my notes I have, like, it's, you could totally feel the excitement that the detective has for the case coming together. <laughs> it's funny, like, as I'm going down my notes, you're getting excited, too. <laughs> <That's just something. laughs> that is so funny. I'm like, like Phil, you, you're not in the case. Just to let you know. Just wanted to point that out. Well, it, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you said something about how fast it goes, because in this chapter, Bosch looks at, Information starts an investigation like information is saying in an hourglass. First, it starts dripping really slowly, but then all of a sudden, the sand just starts going really fast. And that's what's going on right now. Yeah. So after they get the information from Bob, him and Eleanor, Bosch and Eleanor, starts, Bosch just start grasping at straws just trying to put everything together like what's going on how did this all mesh together and Bosch puts a nice theory together that metals fucked up because there was something more going on it wasn't just the robbery of of a ben's safety deposit box it was something bigger going on there's another as you call it, another thread moving through this thing but the fact is that no jury should shown up and that's what got metals killed it wasn't the fact that the, that the jury got was pawned, and maybe that was um, what could have been, but that wasn't part of the overall investigation, not the investigation, the overall crime. There was another part to the crime because once one particular thing shows up, then everyone starts to start doing what's happening now. You start reinvestigating the crime. And it also gives, which Bosch and Eleanor put together, that Tran was also going to be a target. And it wasn't just the West, uh, Westland National Bank that was a target, but it's also another bank out there that houses trans diamonds that this was a two-parter, that these guys were out there actually, it was a, it was a two-part investigation, not two-part crime. And this was the first part. And the fact that they only got, quote, maybe $4 million worth of diamonds, the big hit was to get the $8 million worth of diamonds, and that's why Metals probably had to get killed, along right, so with fucking up the plan. Well, see, here's, all right, let's look at that, though. If that's true, why kill Meadows in the way that you did and try to make it look like an overdose? If you really wanted to do it, why not just drop him in a bad acid and make him disappear or throw him in the chicken wire off off a lake somewhere? It's leaving him like that. That's, that's the flaw in that plan. Well, I, not really, because he was a heroin addict. Stick with, with see, don't. What would they say about, um, well, undercover work, when one of the things that we learn undercover work is a technique, and one of the things, stick to the truth. Stick as close as you can to the truth because that's what you have to fall back on. And you just, so the truth of the matter I is that. I wouldn't take any chances. Fuck that. I actually, I think it was, a, I think the, what, what, what was the harmful part, who would figure, because just like at the beginning of this book, they were going to investigate this case as a nine to fiver. 
the the fatal flaw is that the guy who was in Vietnam with medals happened to be a homicide investigator who happens to be one of our suspects who also happens to be a, 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 a dog with a bone when it comes to investigations and that so other than that, which you know, you know, you you're a gambler, uh, you know, what's the odds of that? They pretty much put together the whole the Vietnam, the captains of the triad, this whole particular group of people, and metal drug money right. to diamonds because it's easier to get out. Right, right, and so they then go back to the FBI building, and they just started. They, they 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 debrief Rourke on what they've come up with and the and Rourke first they threw out the fact let's throw all the people all investigators into the pipes but even I mean, remember how we first started out is miles and miles and miles of of, of pipes under there and we only well, know explain we why for. why they wanted to do that why did they want to go flood the pipes no go go ahead, you go ahead, go ahead. well they they it was floated as an idea to catch them in the middle of the second robbery and further analysis revealed that it's way too dangerous. You have a very intricate underground system that's probably more complicated than the above ground. It's completely dark down there and you want to send teams down at a tactical disadvantage. So the bad guys, they know the system where they're at, like the backs of their hands. So to send people down there probing, you're basically walking them into a shooting gallery where they're going to be killed. So they made the decision exactly. not to go down there, which is smart. I mean, I get the eagerness like, hey, I want to go in the tunnel, go after these guys and go exploring. But given the the, the layout of that system, that's you're you're risking too much. That's not worth oh, it. Oh, especially when these guys it was already remember brought up that the guys use booby traps and all right. that kind of stuff too. So, and they, they're, like I said, they're heavily armed too. Definitely, definitely he- heavy armed. So they go back and they start running and try to get addresses, telephone numbers, anything on either one of these individuals, especially Tran, because they make a tactical decision who to go after first. Should we go after Tran or should we go after Ben? And they don't want to go to Ben first. They want to go to tip the hand. Right, they tip the hand. So they try to run all the things that he can on Tran, but he's like a ghost. And again, the only reason we know about Ben is because he had to fill out the paperwork for the safety deposit box. And again, those back then, safety deposit boxes and accounts weren't digitized. You know, so again, don't listeners, please don't use 2018's technology and try to apply it back to 1992. It was more pen and paper for a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, and I, one thing that, on well, that one, another thing that's sticking out is you have to respect that this is a perfect plan in theory for this crime. You're stealing from bad guys that can't report it. That right, as long right. as you don't drop any bodies and you can get in and out, who's really going to catch you for that? That's I respect that, and in some way, some way I kind of admire it. Right, right, I do. And so they decide, say, you know what? It's time. We can't find Tran. We're going to go to Ben. But by this time, it's late in the evening. Say, hey. You want to go get something to eat? And Bob's like, sure, because he's on. Remember, this whole day started out with being uh, losing Sharky, coming to find out that Eleanor d- didn't tell him. He got blindsided by that. So for her to agree to have dinner with him was, was a good sign for him. He's like, yes, you know, well, okay, you're, maybe, you're, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. 
Well, you're ending the day the way you began it. So you began the day in the arms of a woman that you're falling for, only to have everything turned upside down, and you're circling back to where you started. So maybe there's some levity in that. And again, as we come to a conclusion on this particular chapter, your two boys, what did you call them? Um, oh, uh, Beavis uh, and Butthead? Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and, Beavis and Butthead have an interaction with, um, oh, an interaction with the parking lot attendant. And, <laughs> the, and the security guard at the building. Because during this whole time, Beavis and Butthead or Lewis and Clark are up on top of a building trying to maintain their, their surveillance of, of Bosch. And that whole interaction, I, I can relate to. Because they're challenged by the security guard to display badges. And they say, hey, look, we're on the job. We're working the case. Here's our badge. And they, I was particularly annoyed when the security guard wanted to examine it. And it's like, hey, man, you want to be me. So back the fuck off and get away from it. I don't have to show you right. shit. I'm the police. I can't don't touch stand me. security well, guards. And I, I don't mean that if there's any security guards listening. There's some overzealous guys amongst you. That could be very frustrating for cops, especially when you're in the middle of an operation. So I'm not talking shit right. about all security guards. Let me be very careful about that. But in this specific instance where you guys are overstepping bounds and interfering with an investigation, even though I don't agree with the IED's investigation, they identify themselves. They're operational. Now I need you to back the fuck off. Right. Sorry and, I'm passionate about that. Well, no, no. And, and what I love about this he goes to pay his ticket. Said, "Well, my guy said, my boss said, for you to hold out until he comes back." He's like, "Dude, we're on a fucking case. Lord, just I'm, oh, oh, put this gate up. I can't do it." And he revs the engine. He's like, "Go for it. There's a there's a no, there's a steel pipe in there. That your your, your roof will come off before that pipe comes off." So I know then, I know what what would you have done in that situation? Because I know exactly <sighs> for Bain what I would have done. You know. I think I would have been Lewis in that, that position, like, dude, calm down. They were they were at dinner. He's going to probably go back to her house. Let's just get this shit over with and get the fuck out of here. See, I would, got out, I would have got out and went in the booth and hit the button. And if he touched me, I would have punched him right in the stomach. No, I'm... <clears throat> See, hold on. <laughs> hold on, I forgot. <laughs> this is like on a, no, I would not have done it. But I would have totally got out and pushed the button. Okay, totally yeah, done you know, what the fuck are like, you going to do? Yeah, yeah what are you going to do? He's a penal investigation. I'm like, dude, we yeah. told you, we're, you know, so I'm not, not paying. I'm paying for, I'm paying the ticket. I'm not asking you to let me not go through free. Why are you detaining me? Right. You know, that goes back to that whole, that whole illicit detaining thing. So then, again, Michael, Mike, you see, you, you believe everything is nice and cool. They chill. They're going to go back to Elnor's place. They get out the car, and all of a sudden, they see these headlights coming towards them. And all of a sudden, bam, you know, they, they duck in time before they get run over. And they, they see these headlights. This car is directly coming at them. And they a, a, a chase yep. ensues. And, a, again, you talk about adrenaline. Uh, I've been in chase, uh, 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 chases in my scout car and in, and in my detective cruiser and you get tunnel focus, you know, you get all of, you get tunnel uh, fo- focus. What's, uh, I'm using wrong tunnel word. vision, tunnel vision, tunnel vision. Thank you. See, you look, you're getting vision. tunnel vision. Now you're thinking about the old right. days. <laughs> <laughs> Good old. Yeah, think about the old days chasing people. And so, right. And so then they, they chase the person and they, they, and actually they run into a nice flow. He, sh- as they jump, um, 
as they jump out of the way, Harry, Harry shoots one time, Eleanor shoots one time. It doesn't take effect. The car keeps on going. Again, that tells you how things are different in 1992 as opposed to 2018 because you do not shoot at a fleeing vehicle. I mean, no. you. Well, I guess you can, but there's a whole lot of riding, brother. There's yeah, a whole lot of riding. Go, can that, we not the, go down that road? I'm going to say that. Gonna say, say that, that I, I won't do that. Um, yeah. Things are different. Things are different. And they try. They Harry know, Harry knows enough that if he gets to the freeway, they will will not catch the guy. Yeah. And so he tries to take a shortcut. He gets onto before the freeway, and they pull over. They see a car who they think is a suspect car. They pull him over. Comes to find out that it was not the suspect. <laughs> That's one of the worst feelings. I've I've done that. That that or they hit a turn, and when you go around the turn, all the doors are open and they're gone. And you're you realize right. you're in the middle of a courtyard, and you're like, ah, oh, shit. Right, and that's how the, cha- the chapter ends. So, Alan, uh, we come to the point of this particular chapter. Everyone counts or no one counts moment. Do you have a particular everyone counts? Because this was a fully packed chapter. I mean, it's a long chapter. Thanks a lot for everyone for their patience on this chapter because it's extremely long, but there's a lot of a lot of information packed in this chapter. So, But do you have an anyone counts or no one counts person in this particular chapter? Wow. There, there's actually a, a, a couple to narrow it down to one. And it, Again, I guess for like the third week in a row, it's going to have to be Sharky. Um, there I go with um. Sea Phil is contagious. <laughs> with Sharky, again, like I said earlier, he's a walking paradox. On one hand, you have an innocent kid whose life was snatched. But in all actuality, he was probably going to turn out to be a predator. We don't know that for sure. So because we don't have that, that um, forethought then you have to assume that innocent life was taken here. Regardless what he's right, done, right. he's still innocent life. So he's the everyone counts when nobody counts because now the the case has more meaning to it because it's not just about the bank robbery. We have two victims. You still have Meadows and you have Sharky, the kid. So that would be my single everyone counts or no one counts. Well, you know, for me, my everyone counts and no one counts moment is actually Edgar. Go back to Edgar. I knew you were going to say Edgar. What? I <laughs> fucking knew it. I knew it. And again, I listen, we it. don't, this is very unscripted. We don't really go over so much what we're going to say because one of the things we want to be authentic in our podcast. So we. All right, cut we the move. bullshit. Get to this why Eggers. I really want to well, hear I, I, this. I, I, I really want to hear this. I, I Stop wanted, prefacing I wanted, it. I just want to, no, I just want the listeners to understand that we don't. What you hear is what is off not off the top of my head, but authentic. So, oh, it's off the top of my head, <laughs> right? Even, even I like uh, Edgar. I like well, our, our, our reactions are authentic. That's what I meant. I, I love. I want Edgar because, again, remember Bosch. It's easy to fall in love with Bosch, and it's easy to not think that he does anything wrong. But he's flawed, like all of us, and a true friend, a true partner will not be afraid to stand up to you. Matter of fact, that's even harder for a true partner. And even though you might question his motives about selling houses and everything, 
he said maybe that line when he said maybe you should save me some time and that boy a little bit of life if you you know took better care of him that right there that whole episode by him you know throwing shade at Bosch that last line was me like okay give me a partner who would tell me the truth I might not like it it might hurt but give me somebody to tell me the truth because that's only going to make me better or more resolved which he did for Bosch it made him more resolved yeah, whatever. So I hear you. Well, look, side, not side note, but I have a, a subsection that everyone counts, but no one counts. Go for it. Yeah, I love and it. It's, and it's our guy. Uh-uh, Rourke. The, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Fuck, go fuck him. Um, right. No, it's it's our guide in trade and development. And <laughs> this, the, Bobby, Bobby E. Bobby E. Yeah, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby I like e. that. Bobby E. Robert, Robert the, E. Bobby E. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Now, now, why why him is he really sh- shines a light on how insignificant your investigation is. Because yes. no matter where it goes and how passionate you may feel, there's a greater good and bigger forces working. And that can open up a whole nother podcast um, about the oh, drug yeah. trade and definitely all sorts of things that we can go down. But it's a reminder that yes, this is very personal to you, but in, in the grand scheme, it really doesn't fucking matter. It really doesn't. Not matter. to be right. cynical, and you know, but that's just. So I was kind of torn between the two, which one to pick. But again, you know. Hey, this is this this podcast. We can pick. We can pick as many as we want. Well, all right. So then, my third one counts. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. we're not trying to make this podcast. This one episode two hours. So, look, I just have to say though, thank you for. Uh, sticking with us and listening we really appreciate it and uh, if there's anything we can do to make this better for you guys please let us know and if uh, you want to call in Phil's phone number is 206 <laughs> So, bro, take us out of here. Give us the your do your little voodoo thing that you can do for us. Uh oh, I know what you wanted to say. All right, <laughs> once again, thanks a lot for listening. Hey, it's kind of hard to do my voodoo shit it's, if you're just gonna be. It's Christmas time. Go ahead, go ahead. All right, well, I sprinkle, 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 sprinkle that, sprinkle that knowledge on me. All right, <clears throat> I'm going to break it down like a fraction, folks. Here you go. This is Alan and Phil. We're signing off for the night. We're 10-7 for the remainder. Catch you next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>